Well, good morning. It's great to have you all here with us. We are thrilled uh, that you've chosen to join us. If you're online, welcome as well. Uh, we are this morning continuing our series called Living Out Love, and the attempt with this series is, is really for us to discover the best way for each of us to be able to love those around us, and, and ultimately to be able to see how we can make ourselves the best version of ourselves so that we can best love and have the most impact on those that we interact with daily. And so to start this series back in January, uh, we started looking at some statements that Jesus made while he was dying on the cross and, and how those really apply to our lives. And then a, a couple weeks ago, and then moving all the way into Easter, the goal is to really look at some very practical ways that we can be living out love. And my hope is that we can begin to see, see some ways that we can powerfully live out love and begin to have an impact on those that are around us, and that people would begin to see what Jesus has done in your life and what Jesus has done in my life, and through the transformation that's happened, that they would be drawn to him as well. This last Monday evening, uh, we had our monthly board meeting, and so we were, we were talking, and we were discussing the, all of our plans coming up with Easter, and we were talking about, you know, the challenge that we've thrown out to people to invite, and oh, we, we talked about our newspaper ad. I don't know if you saw this. Here it is, the sports section. There we are. Da-da, 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 da-da. There are some really famous people there now. They are not all their children, by the way, in case you're like, just happened to have a bunch with them. Anyway, so we talked about the newspaper ad that went out today. We were talking about just general Sunday morning attendance, talking about building plans, talking about space for growth, and all, and all of these different things that were, you know, just go into like people and church and all of that. And one of our board members began to ask a question that was a little bit tricky. He said, hey, um, just for curiosity, what's the most common reason that people stop attending Silver Creek? Hmm. Well, uh, people actually leave church for a lot of different reasons. Um, and at Silver Creek, and I'm not telling you this because I'm looking for sympathy. I'm not telling you this because I'm looking for confirmation. Um, but the top reason, the top reason by far that people stop attending Silver Creek is they claim the preaching is shallow. <laughs> you can actually laugh. I think it's kind of funny. Um, now, now, don't tell me that you disagree, because you're still here, right? And you're still listening. So, so if it's true, and if the preaching is shallow, what does that say about you? Obviously, we're all, like, you know, living in denial. We apparently, none of us really know but honestly, I'm not worried about it. I mean, I get to see the next steps. I get to see the way that people are challenged, the way you're strengthened, encouraged. I look at those connect cards. And, and, on, and I look at the way that I'm challenged, the way that I'm strengthened through the preparation for Sunday. But honestly, even though I'm convinced that what we talk about on a Sunday isn't shallow, every single time a person tells us they're leaving for that reason, I take it real personally. <laughs> I get, I, I, get, I get frustrated, I get mad at them, I get angry, I do my best to be like, well, you should find something deeper, whatever, but, you know, I mean, I pour myself into what I'm going to say on a Sunday, and, and, and I just typically get really mad at the individual, and I, 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 in all honesty, I find myself hoping that the next pastor that they find that's really deep um, is also super boring, Probably a really bad lisp or something like that. You know, I'm just like, I hope you find deep and I hope it's miserable. Um, <laughs> hey, you know what? I gotta... The problem with that approach is it makes the words that we're about to look at that Jesus spoke really challenging. Jesus said some stuff, and we're going to look at it. It's on the screen. It's in your message notes. Matthew recorded this, and just think about my frustration with people as you read this. 
Jesus said, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I don't really want to forgive people that accuse the preaching of being shallow. I want to hold on to it. I want to be angry about it. I want to walk into a store and see them come up to me, and I want to glare at them in public. All right, so it's not that deep. I get it. But, uh, but Jesus is like, listen, if, if you're unwilling to forgive, God will in the same way be unwilling to forgive you. And as we wrap up this series over the next couple weeks, uh, and, and maybe again, maybe it's not going to be that deep, but what I'm convinced of, even though it's not that deep, even though you might not learn some new Greek words or theological concepts, if you and I will be open to what Jesus has for us, it will transform your life in some profound ways. And not only will it transform your life, it will begin to have an impact on others that you're around. And so this morning, what we're going to focus on as we talk about living out love, is we're going to really focus on how you and I can begin learning to forgive like Jesus. There's this theological term called sin. It's a word, it's an idea that sometimes we aren't totally sure what it means. We kind of, ah. And so the best description that we use around here to describe sin is, is any choice that you and I make. Any word that we use, any action that we take, any thought that we have that breaks relationship with God or breaks relationship with another person. And so my anger and my frustration that grows towards people that think the preaching is shallow, it, I'm just gonna, it breaks relationship. And each of those choices that you and I take, each of the actions that you and I engage in that break relationship, it's sin. And what you and I need to recognize and what we have to understand this morning is we're not just sinners that have received forgiveness, but, but we're sinners that have been called by Jesus in order to love like him to then forgive other sinners. That's what we need to talk about today. If you were here at the beginning of this series, we saw this very incredible and unrestrained forgiveness that Jesus offers. Jesus is hanging on the cross, and, and he had been beaten, and he had been whipped, and he had been mocked, and he had been tortured. The plan when it came to the cross and crucifying somebody, it wasn't just about pain. It was about torture. It was about humiliation. It was about tearing the individual down. The word that we have for excruciating actually comes out of the process of crucifixion. And as you likely know, what they would do is they would take the individual and they would drive the stakes into their feet and they would drive the stakes into their hands and, and then they would put the cross up. And oftentimes when we see an image of the crucifixion, we see where the cross is hung way up high and everybody's looking up. But really, a lot of times what would happen is when they would put the cross up, they would actually just put it a little bit off the ground, just a few feet off of the ground. So close that the person could actually just step off if they weren't nailed to the cross. And in order to breathe, the individual would have to press into those stakes that were in their feet or pull up on the stakes that were in their arms. And the whole time as they're trying and excruciating, going through this pain, the earth is just a little bit away. And we hear these stories about people coming and mocking Jesus and hurling insults. And oftentimes, again, we think about him being way up high and yelling at him and pointing at him, spitting on him, which when you think about the logistics of spitting on somebody way up high doesn't work. So when you think about the fact that the cross would have been lower, now suddenly they come eye to eye. 
they're right on the ground. They're staring in his eyes and they're spitting in him. They're saying, this is the, you and this is what you're all about and you're horrible. And, and all of that leads to this horrible situation that Jesus is going through. And what we saw during that early point is Jesus is hanging on that cross, struggling, being tortured, and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And in that moment, Jesus is asking for and offering forgiveness for those that are sinning against him in that moment, doing something that is totally and completely in our minds seems unforgivable. And yet Jesus extends forgiveness them. Now, all of us know that if you live long enough, and most of us in this room have, we have been hurt by somebody. Most of us in this room, we know what it's like to carry a very deep wound. Somebody abused you. Somebody took advantage of you. Somebody you cared about lied to you. Somebody cheated you. Somebody hurt someone that you love took advantage of them, hurt your child, hurt your sister, hurt your mom. Maybe it was a Christian that did something very un-Christian-like. Maybe you were a part of a church, and somebody made a decision, or the church did something that, that absolutely devastated you, and, and maybe the church knew it, maybe the church doesn't know it. Maybe somebody gossiped about you. Maybe somebody said something about you that just wasn't true. Maybe you had a boss that didn't appreciate your efforts, didn't appreciate the way that you worked, and as a result, you ended up losing your job. Whatever it is, it just feels completely unjustified, completely unfair. And really what's crazy is sometimes some of us carry hurts around that somebody else caused, and they're not even alive anymore. And yet we're still holding on to that, and we're still carrying the weight of that, and we're still carrying the bitterness of somebody that's not even alive, and they're still continuing to have an impact on our lives. So that begins to bring up this question. How, how do we really learn to live out love? How do we really forgive like Jesus forgave? Because if we can actually begin to forgive the way Jesus forgave, we'll begin to demonstrate to the world, we'll begin to demonstrate to our community some true transformation, because it's not easy to forgive the way Jesus forgave. And if we're going to be able to forgive those that don't deserve it, if we're going to be able to forgive those that maybe don't even feel like they did anything wrong, if we can begin to do that, it will truly begin to reveal a change in who we are. So this morning, I'm going to share with you three thoughts. Three thoughts that as I share these, they're going to seem really simple, but they're not all that easy. Three simple thoughts that will help us begin to forgive like Jesus. And the first thought is this, is to pray for those who hurt you. That's what Jesus was doing on the cross. They were physically hurting him. They were emotionally hurting him. And Jesus taught us, he's like, this is what you should do. And it wasn't a new idea for Jesus. This wasn't the first time he had said, hey, you know what, you should pray for those that are hurting you. In fact, he was speaking to a really large crowd one time, and listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who hurt you. Now, I know some of you are really clever, and you've already started praying for those that hurt you. Like, you just offered up a real quick prayer right now. Like, dear God, would you cause them to lose all control of their bladder the next time they are in public? Right? Like, Jesus, 
Would you allow them to just wet themselves with no place to hide? Maybe you're better than me. But what I tend to do when I'm praying for somebody that's hurt me, I start praying that they would get what's coming to them. God, they lied to me and it hurt. God, would you allow somebody else to lie to them in the same way? God, they took something really valuable from me. Would you, would you let them lose something of great value to them? God, then it, then it will at least be even. Am I getting a radio signal? Anyway. The problem is Jesus started out the statement by saying, bless them. That, mean, that means we have to be praying for something good to happen in their life. The first guy that we read through from Matthew, Matthew actually recorded Jesus making a statement that when he said it was absolutely jaw-droppingly surprising. When Jesus makes the statement that we're about to read, there was likely a collective gasp in the crowd. Women probably fainted. Children probably started screaming in horror. Men probably wept. No, they, none of that part. The, the, there was a collective gasp. The crowd would have been shocked because they never have, would have heard somebody say what Jesus is about to say. In fact, what Jesus is about to say is completely opposite of everything they had been taught their entire lives. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He starts off by saying, listen, this is what you've been taught your whole life. Your whole life we've been taught, love your neighbor, and it's cool to hate your enemy. Go for it. It's good. Go. But then Jesus doesn't just leave it there. He goes on and says, listen, I want to explain to you what living out love really looks like. We're, we're going to raise the bar now. We're, we're going to love our enemies, and we're going to pray for those that have been mean to us. And the moment that Jesus would have said that, there would have been an awful noise in the crowd. It would have been, ear, 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 ear. Because everybody would have been cleaning their ears like, what in the world? No way. No, 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 no. Somebody repeat that. There's no way he just said what he just said. For the Romans, the Romans actually worshipped a god of revenge. So, so the individuals in the crowd that were, that were Romans, they would have been like, well, we actually have a God that we pray to to ask to hurt people. So love our enemies? Hmm. The Jewish individuals in the audience, they had been taught their whole life, an eye for an eye. Somebody pokes you in the eye, you poke them in the eye. Tooth for a tooth, they punch you in the mouth and lose a tooth, you punch them in the mouth lose a tooth. Blood for blood. Somebody wrongs you, you wrong them back. Somebody takes something from you, you take something back. Somebody breaks your bone, you break one of their bones. Somebody flips you off from their car, you flip them off from your car. It's like, it's all fair game. And Jesus is like, we're going to change it all up. Jesus is like, we're going to do something that's completely loving. We're going to do something that can only be done if you're fully trusting that God will have your back and take care of you. And it's really easy to talk about loving your enemies until you have one. I mean, in theory, it's really great. And then in practice, it's really tough. I mean, if somebody has devastated you, if somebody has let you down, if they have lied about you, if they've gossiped about you, 
If that has happened, the very first place that you and I have to start is just pray for them. And again, not pray that something bad would happen, but pray that something good would begin to happen in their lives. Begin to pray that, that God would actually bless them, that God would provide for them, that God would keep them healthy. Pray that God would improve their situation. And that makes zero sense until you and I begin to realize that, that right actions don't happen unless we have a right attitude. And when we're overwhelmed with bitterness, and when our hearts are consumed with anger, there's no way to get to the right action of forgiveness until we get to the right attitude. And if you and I would begin praying for someone, our attitude would slowly change. And as we pray for them some more, our attitude would slowly change. And as we pray for them some more, our attitude would slowly change. And over time, as we continue praying, all of a sudden our attitude begins to the get to the place where we lead to the right action. And if you and I are just waiting to have a feeling to forgive somebody that's done something significantly wrong, if you're just waiting for it to change, if you're just waiting for that individual that wronged you or did something to someone that you love, if you're just waiting for that feeling to come, you're probably waiting until Jesus comes back. And then you still may not be feeling it. If you're waiting to be in the mood, the mood may never come. So you just start small. You just say, God, would you, would you work in their life? And then let God decide what that means. God, would you work in their life? God, would you work in their life? And maybe over time, that prayer begins to increase. God, God would you do something good in their life? God, God, would you help them with whatever they're going through? God, would you, would you bless them? Because it's impossible for you and I to continue to be asking God to do something in somebody else's life, to bless them, to help them, to improve their situation. It's impossible to pray that again and again and not eventually get to the point where we'd be like, I, okay, I'll forgive them. I'm asking God to do all this in their life. I think I could probably forgive them. Here's what we have to understand. Here's what we have to get. Is that when you and I choose to pray for somebody that we hate, or when we pray for somebody that is our enemy, or when we pray for somebody that has persecuted us, our prayers may not change them at all. But our prayer will always change us. That's the deepest thing I'm going to say, so I'm going to say it again. <laughs> your prayers for your enemy may never change them, but it will always change you. It will always transform you. Your prayers for them will change you. And God may do something significant in that person's life, and he may not. But without a doubt, your prayer for your enemies will bring incredible change within you. That's why Jesus taught us to forgive. That's why Jesus taught us to love our enemies. That's why Jesus thought it so important that we understand this idea and why he spoke about it and taught about it and said, listen, you need to forgive and you need to love even those that you don't like. Pray for those that have hurt us. The second thought this morning that comes when we're learning to forgive like Jesus is to forgive as you've been forgiven. 
An early leader by the name of Paul said it pretty simply. This is what he wrote. He said, forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, I don't know about you, but God has forgiven me of a lot. I can't, I'm not going to speak for you. What I, what I do know, I, I know what I've done in my life. I don't know how many times you've lied or how many times you've hurt somebody or how many times you've lied to yourself or how many times you've disobeyed. My mom's in the room. She could probably tell you a lot. Um, I don't know how many times you've sinned. I can just speak for me. And I can just tell you that I've been forgiven for a lot. And because I've been forgiven for a lot, then Jesus says your challenge is to forgive in the same way that God has already forgiven you. And because God has already forgiven me for a lot, I need to forgive a lot. And the crazy reality is, if you and I choose not to forgive another person, the only person that pays is us. Because oftentimes the other person that hurt us, they may not even know they hurt us. Or they don't care. Or if they do care, there's nothing they can do to go back and change it. It's just the reality of our past. And when we choose, and it's truly a choice, when we choose to hang on to that bitterness, and we hang on to that anger, and we hang on to that resentment, and we don't let go of that hatred, that frustration that we hold on to, the individual that will pay is you. The individual that will pay will be me when we hold on to that, when we don't forgive. We're the ones that suffer. We're the ones that lose sleep. We're the ones that ruin our own holidays. We're the ones that allow it to damage our other relationships. You've probably heard this amazing quote by a gal by the name of Anne Lamont. Her quote is this. She says, bitterness is like drinking poison and then hoping the other person dies. Dang it, right? Like, so we just start praying for them. We start praying for them. And we start praying for them. And then one day we begin to realize, why am I holding on to this anger? Why is this bitterness continuing to be a part of my life? It is preventing me from being able to live out love for those that I really care about. And we begin to recognize all that we've been forgiven for. And we keep praying. And we recognize all that we've been forgiven for. And we keep praying. And one day the Disney Frozen soundtrack is playing. And we just recognize, let it go. And we just make the choice to trust God that, that it will be better even if we don't feel like it. And so we just decide we're going to let it go. And we're going to let go of what they said, and we're going to let go of what they did, and we're going to let go of the hurt that we've been holding on to, and we're going to let go of the bitterness, and we're just going to let it go. And then we're going to decide the next day that we're just going to let it go. And then the next day we're going to just let it go. And the amazing reality of all of it is that those individuals that have hurt us the most, those that have caused the most damage in our lives, have the exact same access to the forgiveness that Jesus offers as you and I do. Everything that you and I, I desire Jesus to forgive us from, to clear our lives of, those same things, the very worst person has the same access to be forgiven in the same way that you and I have. The very same reason that they can be forgiven 
is also the same reason that you and I can be forgiven. And it's all based on who Jesus is and what Jesus did and on the sacrifice that Jesus offered. It's not based on anything that we've done. It's all based on everything that he's done. There's nothing that you and I have done to deserve it. There's nothing you and I can do to earn it. And in the same way, those that have hurt us have the same access. And when we begin to recognize all that Jesus has forgiven us from, it begins to open us up to the opportunity to actually forgive others. And at the same time, it allows us to begin to forgive others. It should also motivate us to begin to invite others to discover the forgiveness that you've experienced. A couple of weeks back, we started talking about the idea of inviting people to what you found to be true about Jesus. And we talked about some of the fears that we experience when we start inviting. And when we start talking about this idea of inviting others to experience the forgiveness that we've experienced, there's a couple new thoughts that might start to grow up, some new concerns. I mean, if I invite somebody to come and experience the forgiveness I've experienced, maybe they'll be like, ah, I don't need it. Eh, I don't need that. Don't tell me about that. If I start explaining to somebody that, that I needed Jesus to forgive me of the choices that I've made, they might be like, okay, you're kind of weak. You needed forgiveness. You need God's forgiveness. Maybe we tend to want to hesitate to invite somebody to forgiveness because we're mad and frustrated at them. And we don't actually want them to experience the forgiveness that Jesus offers. And oftentimes, the forgiveness that we choose to withhold from a person prevents them from being open to the forgiveness that Jesus wants to provide. And at the same time, you and I extending forgiveness can begin the journey of an individual realizing that they're actually worthy to be forgiven. Two weeks ago, we challenged you to start thinking and start praying about five individuals that you'd be inviting to Easter. Next week when you come, we're going to start providing you with some invite cards. And on those cards, it's going to have all the details and all the information, all the things about what's coming up. But ultimately, the key to all of that invite, all of that sharing, is about what has Jesus done for you personally? And the forgiveness that you and I have experienced is one of the greatest things that He's done. And one of the greatest things that we can share. There's this amazing story in the Bible about two brothers. Two brothers that were trying to find the answer. Two, two brothers that were trying to find the solution. One's named Philip. And Philip ends up meeting Jesus. And he tells his brother Nathaniel, you've got to see what I found. The story goes this way. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there, Nathanael said? Come and see, said Philip. Two brothers actually looking for the exact same answer. And Nathanael didn't believe Philip had actually found the Messiah because it didn't fit his understanding. And there will be times that you and I invite somebody tell somebody about what Jesus could do, and they're like, eh, I don't do religion. If, if somebody's like, I don't do religion, you should say, neither does my church. Like, <laughs> like, this church is not very religious. Maybe they're like, church isn't my thing. Ah, I don't need that crutch. Philip doesn't even argue. Philip's like, okay, 
just come see. Just check it for yourself. Philip is like, uh, okay, well, it, it makes sense to me. This has worked in my life. Come see. And I know that we are stretching you to challenge you to invite people to Easter and ultimately invite people to Jesus. I realize that when we start saying, take this card, write five names, and start inviting to people, some of you are like, oh, no. But understand this. Truly, one of our hopes in this whole process is not only for people to respond to the process of you inviting them, but it's God using your willingness to invite somebody to know Jesus and the growth and spiritual transformation it will bring in your own life. Because one of the important aspects of this whole process that we're just going to start rolling into is the increase in your prayer efforts into this whole thing. So here's where the transformation can really start to take place for each of us personally as we begin to support and plan this whole thing that's going on with Easter coming up. So I want to challenge you to join us in fasting and in prayer for the next four weeks. And we're just going to take it easy this time. We're not going to go crazy with it. And fasting is basically the idea of, of giving up something and then using that thing that you've given up, either, either using the time that it takes or using the desire that it has and focusing our prayer in that moment. And you, you can choose to fast from anything, but just let me give you one specific idea. Between now and Easter, would you join me? And I, I think Elizabeth's in, and I don't know about David yet. I might force him. I don't know. But between now and Easter, would you join us in fasting from lunch, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday? And on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, during your lunch, just spend time praying. Begin praying that God would be working in the heart, in your heart, to be open to forgiving those that have wronged you. Begin praying that you would be willing to forgive those that hurt you. Begin praying that God would soften the hearts of those people that are on your list and the list of others at Silver Creek. Begin praying that you would have the courage and others within Silver Creek would have the courage to take the risk to invite people to Easter. Begin praying that God would, would cause people that are invited to respond, that, that their hearts would begin to say, I, I don't understand this, but I guess I'll come here about Jesus. Pray that people will see our newspaper ads and, and they'll, they'll just catch their attention and it'll begin to spark an interest. Pray that the Facebook posts that we're gonna start, you're going to start seeing more and more, that they'll get shared and they'll get seen. Pray for me as I'm writing and preparing for that morning. We're launching a brand new series that morning. It's called Conquering Giants. We're going to talk about conquering finances and conquering career. and conquering. In that first morning, we're going to talk about the, conquering the giant of fear. Start praying for our children's workers. Whew. They're going to gear up for that morning, and there will be so many wiggles and so much energy, so much opportunity to show the love of Jesus that morning. Pray for our worship team as they finalize the last songs and determine what will connect with individuals that come that morning, individuals that may be brand new to church. We're trying a bunch of new things. I, you know, newspaper ads, I don't know if they'll work. Facebook, I don't know if they'll work. But what I do know will work is if you and I begin to pray, if you and I begin to commit ourselves to praying between now and Easter, what will happen is you and I will change. And Jesus will begin to do something amazing in the spiritual life of those, that are, of those of us that are already a part of Silver Creek. And my guess is, as a result of that, some new people will have an opportunity to experience Jesus. And every week we put these connect cards in your program, and we just challenge you to think through what it is that you're going to do this morning 
based on what it is that you've heard. So maybe your next step this morning, maybe your next step is to acknowledge the individual or the situation that you need to forgive. Maybe it's just lingering and you just need to clarify it. Maybe you need to spend some time and remember a time or times that someone forgave you. Maybe your next step is that based on the forgiveness Jesus has offered you, extend forgiveness to another person. And maybe your next step is to commit to fast from, and again, I'm encouraging you to say lunch, but you can put whatever you want on there. But to fast from something and pray for those that you'll be inviting and the different things that are going on in preparation for Easter. The band's going to come in just a moment and play one last song, but I would just again encourage you and challenge you not to miss out on this opportunity for what God wants to do in your life. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for your incredible demonstration of forgiveness. Would you help us to begin to recognize what incredible freedom is available to us when we choose to forgive? To just be willing to give away and give up the right to hold on to those points of bitterness and anger that we so often just want to cling to. Help us to see the beauty in offering forgiveness. Give us the courage to begin praying for those that we're going to invite and praying for all that's coming up with Easter. We just ask that you would, be, you would be involved in all of our planning and in all of our preparation. That ultimately you would be glorified and, and lives would be transformed because of what you can and will do. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen.